0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning Good morning everybody. I am Michael Flake one of the pastors here great to be together as a church family this morning online in the field Great to be together. I notice online you sat in a different place today. That's great. I hope you enjoy it Uh, I think you'll be sitting there more often in fact to be together as a church family whether you're cautious about jesus curious about jesus or committed to jesus there's room for you here this is a safe place to learn to grow and to change so long as you don't have it all together you'll fit right in before i jump into the sermon this morning i want to tell you something exciting in the life of the church you may know we've been searching for a community and care director with the retirement of dr bud brainerd Our search team at the first service, I said, has worked tirelessly. That oversells it a little bit, like we have taken naps and those sorts of things, but worked hard. We uh, searched through, uh, we we vetted some 40 candidates, 40 million candidates. I suppose technically everyone was a candidate, yes, but uh, 40 candidates. uh, We felt that 12 of them were solid to strong fits for the role, we interviewed nine of those, we multiple interviewed five of those, we had finalist style interviews with three of those, and then we invited one to come and meet uh, elders for feedback, uh, group leaders, community group leaders, discovery course leaders for feedback, and in our sense, the search is now over, uh, our sense as affirmed by the elders of our church is that uh, we have highlighted the person who will be our new community and care director. So I'm going to introduce that person to you here in a minute. It was an unexpected result in that it was an internal person, which in retrospect, that's not what we set out to find, but in retrospect, I see God's provision in that. This, this is a big job. It's a steep learning curve. And in this moment where the congregation is scattered out, it would be an even steeper learning curve if one were coming from the outside of this or any church and trying to, trying to learn that. So the person uh, who's our new community and care director is already a known entity to folks who have been part of the church for a while. If you're newer to the church, you'll get to know this person pretty quickly. She actually is one of our elders and has served the church for a long time in a number of different capacities and has felt this sort of uh, nudge to now join our staff as a community and care director. So we're thrilled. Please join me in welcoming our new community and care director, Holly Worsley. So Holly is uh, with us in the field today. So folks uh, cheering. She'll be signing autographs here in a little while. But Holly does not begin until November 1st. So there's two weeks. Leave her alone for two weeks. She starts November 1st. And her, her major responsibility is helping all of us Get into smaller pockets of community, smaller pockets of belonging so that even in a large congregation, we can know and be known. We can care and be cared for as we worship together and serve together. We can also grow together. So we'll need new leaders as always to raise up and be willing to lead these smaller pockets of belonging. So consider if that might be a way God might be calling you to step up into a new a new level of leadership. We will need it in the years ahead and the months ahead. And uh, it'll make Holly's job a little easier from from the word go. And the word go is November 1st, in case I didn't iterate that. November 1st. Don't email her today and say, I got 38 good ideas. Email her in two weeks and say, you got 38 good ideas. We're thrilled. We're thrilled, Holly. It's going to be great. So we're in the midst of a short series of sermons on faith and finances. This is on the heels of a short series on faith and politics. If there's anyone left in the church in a few weeks, we will move on to other topics. Finances and politics are very divisive and uncomfortable topics, I think in large part because of how our identity gets wrapped up in these things. But as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, Jesus has given you a new identity. You have a new identity in Christ. You are God's child, a member of God's family. It's not something you earned. It was a gift that you received in Jesus' name, a gift I received in Jesus' name. And our new identity in Christ helps us see everything anew, helps us see everything through the lens of faith in Jesus, So not only are these topics that risk being divisive, but we pray will be unifying. They can also be dividing for each of us as individuals. That my faith is over here, but my political engagement's over here. My faith is over here, but my financial matters are over here. A- and what the Bible is actually encouraging is unity within that, which is to say, here's my faith in Christ. It, it is the defining part of my life. It is my new identity. And now I'm going to see all parts of life including the hard parts of life, through the lens of faith in Jesus. So it's important that we do think about finances through the lens of faith in Jesus, especially in 2020, because a number of us have just come off or in the midst of a major financial scare. In March, we were confronted with the question, what happens if I don't have an income for months? What happens if my salary just turns off like a water faucet? The truth is, some of us have come through just fine. Some of us have had the best year in business ever. Others of us have been especially hard hit by the economic impacts of COVID-19 and how we've responded to it. And a lot of us are still in the midst of job uncertainty and insecurity. So I want you to hear me loud and clear through all this. This series is not meant to discourage you. This series is meant to give you and me a biblical roadmap for moving forward. What does it mean for us to turn to Jesus for wisdom and help in the midst of or right after a financial health scare? How do we view our finances through the lens of faith? Well, there's three big ideas in the scripture that I want to point you to. Faith and politics, I tried to point you to distinguishing between what was disputable and what was indisputable. Now with faith and and finances, I want to point you to three words that actually have uh, importance beyond finances, Uh, and they are these. The words are stewardship, contentment, and legacy. Stewardship, contentment, and legacy. Say them with me. Stewardship, contentment, legacy. I heard you at home. Thank you. Stewardship, contentment, legacy. So last week was stewardship. Pastor Grace Seegers preached a fabulous sermon on stewardship. If you missed it last week, please go and listen to it on our church website. He, he spoke of stewardship as a change in perspective. It is the change of perspective in which we realize everything belongs to God. The food we eat, the shoes on my feet, everything belongs to God. The money in the bank, even your septic tank, everything belongs to God. So as you think about the relationships in your life, the people in your life, the opportunities in your life, the things in your life, you and I are caretakers of those. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So you see, we're trying to do bigger principles here than just like how to manage a checkbook. These are principles that apply to every area of life including the financial area, but every area of life. So we started at stewardship. Today's topic is contentment, they all said. Contentment. Contentment is a satisfaction with what God has entrusted to me. Contentment is satisfaction with what God has entrusted to me. You might be able to guess what next week's sermon is. Contentment is like those surveys you receive all the time. You go and buy something, and the next day you get an email. How was your experience yesterday? For me, when I drive by a medical facility, I receive a survey that says, How was it driving by our medical facility yesterday? Were you not satisfied, somewhat satisfied, satisfied, or very satisfied? That's contentment. As you consider what God has entrusted to you in your life, in your opportunities, in your relationships, in your finances, as you consider what God has entrusted to you, are you not satisfied, somewhat satisfied, satisfied, or very satisfied? To be clear, contentment does not mean that you cannot aspire to more, aspire to grow, aspire to improve. Contentment does not mean you cannot ask for a raise. Contentment is a growing satisfaction in who God is and all that God has entrusted to you. It helps you and it helps me see more clearly if we're aspiring to grow in the right areas, in the areas that God is opening for us, in the doors that God is opening for us. Or are we just trying to keep up with the Joneses? Now, would you say we live in a content society? (laughs) I, I tried. I tried to ask with a straight face. At the end of 2019, the last few months of 2019, credit card debt in the United States jumped up by almost $50 billion. So at the end of 2019, in other words, we spent collectively... About $50 billion that we didn't have on stuff that we desired. Now, positive note, in 2020, credit card debt in the U.S. is going down. In 2020, Americans have paid off almost $100 billion in credit card debt. It's almost like this year has been a forced contentment for us. And the sky has not yet fallen. Now, this is not an economics lecture, even if the tone of my voice indicates it is. This is about following Jesus. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me to follow Jesus? The Bible gives us a clear picture of financial matters that I describe, you'll hear us describe as give, save, live. The Bible's view of finances is what we call give, save, live. Give at least 10% to God's work in the world. Set aside 5 to 15% to save, to pay down debt, to, to invest, and then live on the rest. Give, save, live. Give is a biblical principle and the number is biblical. Save is a biblical principle. There's no number attached to it in the Bible, so I just say 5 to 15% based on, on folks who've thought about this a lot. And then live on the rest. Give, save, live. Every time Mandy and I make money that's what we try to do run it through give save live every time you make money the scripture is encouraging you to run it through give save live not this tuesday but next tuesday nine days from now i'm going to do a a facebook live at 4 p.m that's designed to just be real practical how do you do give save live if you've never thought like that or or you'd like a refresher or whatever uh, we'll do the facebook live the real practical practical how do you do give save live There'll be Q&A, and I'll do props and zany things and all that kind of thing. But we'll do that the more practical there. What's the problem with give, save, live? Well, the problem is a lot of us are used to living on everything or more than everything we make. We're used to living on 100, maybe even 100% of what we make. And so we don't have margin to give or save. We might tell ourselves, we'll give or save what's left, but what we often find is there's nothing left. As we follow Jesus, as we move more into a give, save, live approach to finances, what we often find is we're going to be living on about 80% of what we make. How do you move from living on 110% to 80% of what you make? The answer is contentment. Contentment, not sheer willpower. Not getting lucky, but by God's grace, with God's help, cultivating contentment. And this gets us to our passage for the morning, what Kennedy read for us earlier. First Timothy 6, chapter 6, verses 6 to 12. First Timothy is a letter. It was written by a man named Paul, who was an early Christian leader, to one of his mentees. His mentee was named... Timothy, excellent. You're tracking. I love it. At the end of the letter... In what we now call chapter 6, Paul focuses in on contentment. Let's look at these words together. Pray that God would use them to shape us. It begins this way in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The best return on investment you can get, Paul writes, is godliness with with contentment. And I love the phrase godliness with contentment because it asks the question, where are our eyes focused? What or who are we looking at? What or who can't we take our eyes off of? Are we focused on what everybody else has and sort of wish we had it too? I wish I had her smarts, his looks, his car, her house, their kids, their parents, their money. If only I could put all the best parts of everyone else's lives together into my life, then I'd be set. Where are our eyes focused? Contentment calls us to focus on God, who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do for our good. Focus on God, that he is for you, not against you. Focus on God, that he loves you sacrificially. So sacrificially, in fact, that he came to earth as Jesus Christ on a rescue mission. And he lived and he suffered and he died. Never forget this part. He resurrected all of this to bridge the gap between you and me and our father who is in heaven. Focus on God, who he's calling you to be, what he's entrusted to you. God's not calling you to be me and God's not calling me to be you. Now God's calling all of us to be people of Christ-like character, but God has entrusted each of us with different things based on who he made us to be and who he's calling us to be. Perhaps the best way to ruin Christmas is to spend all of our time looking at what everybody else got and wishing that's what we got and not enjoying what's been given to us in the first place based on who we are and who we're being called to be. So as we keep our eyes on God, we find less comparison and more contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. As any good country song will tell you, you cannot attach a U-Haul to a hearse. You cannot take any material thing with you. Now, we forget that sometimes, but as we keep our eyes on God, we remember how reality works. God authors reality. God knows how reality works. So when we think about material things, financial things, we need to remember life is like a roller coaster. You've probably already knew that. Life is like a roller coaster. But here's what I mean. You end where you start. At zero. And yes, there will be some ups, and there will be some downs. There will be some twists, there will be turns. There will be minutes you scream for joy, and there will be times you just hold on tight. And the ride stops where it starts, at zero. We brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of the world. Contentment begins as we keep our eyes on God, and then it deepens as we ask ourselves, am I comparing what I have To what everybody else has? Or am I I comparing what I have to zero? Which is where the ride starts and stops. I have a different view of what God has entrusted to me. In relationships, in life, in opportunities, in finances. I have a different view of what God has entrusted to me when I compare it to nothing. And when I compare it to what he's entrusted to everybody else. One of those leads me to contentment and to joy and to awe at God's goodness. And one of those leads me to envy and to bitterness and to dissatisfaction with myself or others. And it's all a matter of perspective because what God has entrusted to me has not changed. It's about the perspective from which I see it. So godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, I'm pretty sure it says designer clothing. Hold on. No, it just says clothing. Hmm. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. We will be content, the scripture says, so long as our basic needs are met. For food, for clothing, for shelter, for people who love us. That may not sound like much when you compare it to how multimillionaires live, but when you compare it to nothing, we realize that God has been so good to each of us. And in fact, throughout the Bible, though we see that the rule of financial matters is give, save, live, give at least 10% to God's work in the world, save some money for the future, for debt reduction, for investing, and then live on the rest... Though we see that as the rule, there's an exception in the Bible to give, save, live. And the exception is for those of us who are experiencing poverty. By which the Bible means you struggle to make your basic needs met. You struggle to provide food, clothing, and shelter for yourself and the people under your care. And when that's the case, what the Bible does is it says you should still give something to God's work in the world because you still have value and you were put on earth for a purpose. You should still find some way to give what you can to God's work. But prioritize providing for the physical, basic needs of yourself and the people under your care, food, clothing, shelter. In fact, we see this in the life of Jesus, When Jesus was a little baby, his parents, Mary and Joseph, brought him to the temple for an important religious ceremony. And they were told, because of what the scripture says, to bring an offering to that ceremony. Now, most folks were expected to bring, I I didn't look this up beforehand, so if I'm wrong, you can correct me on email. But uh, I believe it's one or two like lambs. It's pretty big, a little more expensive of an offering. But then the Bible says, if you don't have that, just bring a couple birds. And you watch Mary and Joseph come to the temple with baby Jesus and a couple birds as their offering. Now, can you imagine this? The Savior of the world, the God of the universe is welcomed to earth, welcomed into our world with the offering that folks who are financially struggling were supposed to bring how deeply God cares for those who struggle. How deeply God cares for those of us who are experiencing poverty. How deeply God is teaching our church to care for people who are struggling. In fact, some years ago, we decided to start setting about $10,000 aside out of year-end giving to be a benevolence fund for the church and for people who needed it. We have, for a long time given at least 10% of our annual budget away to ministries and missions that care for people who either spiritually or materially are in poverty. And the reason we do this is because of how deeply God cares for folks in poverty, how deeply God cares for you. So much so that when Jesus came to earth, he was born into poverty. They brought the two little birds to the temple with Jesus. Verse 9, so again, we brought godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This verse brought to you by the wealth management companies of Lake Norman. Paul is about to argue contentment from the other side. Paul is about to ask, what happens if we become obsessed with what everybody else has? And we have to have it for ourselves. We often call this keeping up with the Joneses. You may have heard that phrase, keeping up with the Joneses. Paul's point is, before you keep up with the Joneses, you need to figure out where the Joneses are headed. If the Joneses are about to plunge themselves into ruin and destruction, do not keep up with them. Lag far behind them. The Bible is warning us about becoming people who will only be satisfied with more, more, more. Now, again, content people can aspire to grow. In fact, content people often do aspire to grow. But content people are also satisfied with where they are now. Some of us will only be satisfied if we have more, 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 And the Bible calls this a temptation and a trap. And here's why. If you and I will only be satisfied with more, 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 the truth is there will always be more, more, more. Years ago, one of the wealthiest people on earth was asked how much money is enough. His answer was telling. He said, just a little bit more. There is always more, more, more out there. If we cannot have a deep soul-level satisfaction here, why do we think we're going to have a deep soul-level satisfaction there? We're going to chase satisfaction that we will never find, and we may start to lie, to cheat, to steal, to get there. We may fall for get-rich-quick schemes to, to get there. We may take out $50 billion in credit card debt to live a little bit beyond our means. All of this chasing after the Joneses, who the truth is, I've never seen the Joneses' uh, checkbook. They may be more in debt than I am. They may be what we used to call in Memphis, fronting, putting on a good show, but it doesn't look so good behind the scenes. Now, I just need to be clear the Bible is not anti debt, but the Bible is debt averse. The, the Bible um, is debt averse, but not anti debt. What debt requires is that we give up some of our freedom. And so because of that, the Bible is a little debt averse. When we talk about contentment, we need to be clear that there's a difference between debts that we have a plan to pay off and debts that just come because we're living beyond our means. Things like a house, a student loan, a car note, these might be things that fit very well into our live budget. We have a plan to pay them off. They are a debt, but we have a plan to pay them off. In fact, every month we do so. We work the plan. There are other debts where you and I just take them on, but we don't really have a plan for how to pay them off. Like credit card debt is often that. It's not always, but often that. This can be the case if you have too much house, too fancy of a car. Our monthly payment plan to pay off the debt actually pushes us way out of our live budget and is what pushes us to be living on 100, 110% of what we're making. Give, save, live, for some of us, it kind of seems like a pipe dream. Can people actually live this way? The minister claims it. But I don't think anyone can actually do it. God is gently calling us to something greater. He's calling us to focus ourselves on him. Focus ourselves on him and in doing so, cultivate contentment. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So this is a good Bible trivia question. Does the Bible say money is the root of all evil? It does not. It says the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. So, so the, the whole point of, of the, the sermon is not, well, if you have more than X in a bank account, you're a terrible Christian. That's not what it is. It's not how much money, it's what sort of relationship you have with money. We'll talk about legacy next week. But the scripture, as far as contentment goes, is talking more about your relationship with material things, not how many material things. The human heart is much like a shark that can't help but keep swimming. You know this about sharks, they can't help but keep swimming. Even when they're asleep, they can't help but keep swimming the human heart can't help but find things to love can't help but find things to desire and if we are not careful our little shark hearts can get so wrapped up in money and in material things that it's going to crowd god out of his rightful place in our lives and the truth is no financial seminar can ever fix that Our restless little shark hearts keep swimming, swimming, swimming until they learn to settle down in the love of God. Until they come to desire God and love God above everything else. And that's where this passage is actually leading us. It's leading us to ask the question, who do you love? What do you love? Who or what has captured your imagination? Who or what defines your value? Who or what defines your purpose? And the good news is that even as you and I struggle to love God, God does not struggle to love us. Even in our failings, God does not fail. What sort of love is this? Not that we love God, but that God loves us. Even in our rebellion, even in our lack of contentment, even as we act unlovable. You and I are invited to come and rest and be made new in the unconditional love of Jesus. Come, rest, be made new in the unconditional love of Jesus. It's a forgiving love and a purposeful love and a secure love, a rejuvenating love. It's an eternal love. And you and my little shark hearts will swim, 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 swim until we come to see and rest and be made new in the unconditional love of Jesus. Verse 11. But you, man of God, this is written to Timothy. But you, Timothy, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So a passage about contentment ends without referring to money. It actually refers to character, Christ-like character, and eternal life. And why is that? Well, because, and this can be hard to see when we struggle financially, because finances aren't meant to be all-consuming. Finances aren't meant to consume our lives, our hearts, our minds, all of our emotional energy. Finances are not the goal of life. They're not a sign of a successful life. They're, they're not the sign, certainly not the goal of life following Jesus. Finances are an area of life, and like any tiger, they can be tamed. Now, if it's not tamed, it can cause havoc. But by God's grace, with God's help, it can be tamed. We can start to live in a more give-save-live sort of way. But the point in all this is that what God is really doing is freeing us to live the life he wants for us. Focusing on him, living in his ways, being a person of love, being a person whose faith reframes every area of life, a person whose faith reframes every person that we meet. As we cultivate contentment deep in our soul, and yes, along the way, that Jesus does use that to tame the tiger of our finances. But what we're left with is something even greater than that. Contentment cultivated deep in our souls. And we don't allow then our finances to be the driving purpose of our lives. The driving purpose of our lives is a seat reserved only for Jesus. So flee from all this. All this being the love of money. Not having money, loving money. Flee from the love of money and pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith and love and endurance and patience. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the life to which you were called. The everlasting, abundant life to which you were called. When you confess Jesus, To be your Savior, your Lord. So let me wrap up with this question for your consideration. In what ways, big or small, will contentment help you grow into God's give, save, live approach? In what way or ways, big or small, will contentment help you grow into God's give, save, live approach? And again I, uh, as a final note I'll just reiterate this is not only about finances I'm targeting it to the financial area of our lives because it kind of gives us a way to live these principles out but contentment and stewardship also apply to our opportunities our our, our relationships the things and the people uh, 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 the opportunities God has entrusted to our care to be caretakers of them to be caretakers And by God's grace to be satisfied in them by keeping our eyes on God, realizing what he's entrusted to us, how he meets our basic needs, but how he meets more than our basic needs. Asking the question, will we compare it to zero or to what everybody else has? Will we be careful to keep up with the Joneses? Will we become more reliant on God and God's goodness to us? A little less reliant on ourselves. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about what he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, we look to the birds and see that you make provision for them. We see that the flowers are dressed beautifully every day. And thus you confirm to us that you will make a beautiful provision for our needs. And we have needs, Lord. Some of them material Some of them in our health, in our emotional well-being, our mental health, our anxiety. Lord, our deepest need is for our little shark hearts to settle down, to rest in your everlasting love. And so, Lord, I pray that our takeaway from this will be to focus ourselves more on you and to pursue godliness with contentment. To see anew all that you've entrusted to us and to become more deeply satisfied in it. Lord, we're driven people, but I pray you would focus our drive on the doors you're opening for us not just keeping up with the Joneses. Lord, I pray for those of us who, who feel keenly the little shark heart thing, that we are swimming, 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 always looking for things to love, always looking for people or things or opportunities to desire. Our hearts are restless. So Lord, may we find our rest in you. May we open up our minds, our hearts, our souls, invite you in, ask you to rebuild us from the ground up. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as TJ said, we'd love to pray for you in the field. You can put prayer requests or any offerings in the wicker basket online. DavidsonPrayer at lakeforest.org is the prayer request. Just send an email there and you can go to lakeforce.org/give for anything you're able and willing to give as an offering we love you guys let's worship together